0: favorites. But before we do that, and looking at that passage, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, we do thank you that you are a watching God. You more often want to see us doing good rather than that which displeases you, and you delight in seeing your people do well, and you also delight in protecting us with your watchful eye over us. And even when we go through the storms of life and the the challenges and uh, um, grieving times of life, you're watching, and you show your care, and you give your strength, and you Allow us not only to get through it, but to endure it and, and still see your good hand upon our lives and the lives of people we care about. And Father, we also know that you're watching when there's some things you want us to change. And we look at a passage this morning that speaks to that um, theme this morning. And help us to have attentive ears to what you want us to hear. And we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said... Amen. So I invite you to take your Bibles. you don't have your Bibles, there should be a Bible around you. I don't have the text in the outline this morning. I have a number of the references that we'll turn to quickly. As we think about uh, what James now, again, says to the people, uh, the people not outside the church but inside the church. And that is true back then as well as today that we have some issues that sometimes we don't really address by faith. We kind of just do what we always do, and what we always do is not always what God wants us to do. And so in this particular thing, I've entitled the message, Are You Playing Favorites? And if he had mentioned that as a question for the church uh, that he was writing to, the answer to that would have been, yes, they were playing favorites. Uh, we just had Mother's Day this uh, past uh, week, and we celebrate in various ways. In our life groups, I think I asked the question, what, what do you remember about your mom? Or what do you remember about being a mom? And as I was thinking about that, among other things, what I remember about my mom is that she didn't play favorites, particularly in the home. Uh, she had uh, two children, or she has two children, and, and she uh, didn't play favors between my brother and myself, even though she had many reasons to make me her favorite, rationally, so many reasons why I should have been her favorite. She chose not to make me more of a favorite or Steve more a favorite than myself. And uh, as we think about that, sometimes we do that in certain corners of our life. We might do it in our home or we might do it among certain people we know, but do we do it with everybody? Or or, or really, if we were honest with ourselves, not only outside the community, but even inside in God's community, the church, do we sometimes play favorites? And and as we see this morning, uh, James has a a very strong word for that. And and really, we often will deceive ourselves. Sometimes we think we're doing a lot better than we really are, and that's why it's good that God has His watchful eye upon us, and and when we are sensitive to His shining spotlight, we discern what He discerns about things that need to be changed is that we can, we can play favorites for the, the strangest of reasons. Uh, I was reading uh, this past week about this study was done in New York City. And uh, I don't know if it was just done to see what we have a tendency to do or whether it was even a business decision to see if there were some ways they could improve the profit line. But basically they had a businessman who decided, or they, had, they placed a businessman in the, in the business district of New York City and they had him in a nice suit with two different colors, as you'll see. The first time what they did is they had him wear a dark suit, and he went on a street, and he began just running to everybody he could to say, will you please help me? Will you please help me? I've lost my wallet. Would you just loan me some money so I could get a taxi so I could get to the airport and go home? Here's my name, my address, and phone number. As soon as I get home, I will wire you the money. And so he did that on various streets within the, the district and uh, collected a variety of of resources that would have uh, paid for a taxi to get to the airport to get home. Well, they did that on one day, and then about a month later, they, they took the same man back, and instead of wearing a dark suit, they had him wear a beige suit. Beige was kind of in that particular time when they did the study. And, and so, he again, he went around just going up to people say, and said, Will you please help me? I... I I lost my wallet. I need money for a taxi. I'm going to go to the airport, go home, and I'll wire you the money immediately. Here's my name, my address, and phone number. Well, after he com- uh, completed the two days, in basically the same area, the same man, they, they evaluated what had happened. A- and they discovered that when he was wearing a beige suit, he brought in twice the amount of money that he did when he was wearing a dark suit. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out very simply that People were playing favorites for only one particular reason. They thought beige, a beige suit on a businessman looked more, more trusting than a dark suit did. Now, if that be true out on a district in New York around the business metropolis of, of that city, could that also happen within the community of God's church? Could we be so superficial that we would look at certain things by way of appearance and make immediate judgments that would show that we're playing favorites and looking at people God's way? Well, that's what James addresses. And before I look at the text, I want to say one other thing. James, as we've shared before, is probably the most practical book in the New Testament. In fact, uh, there, was a, uh, there, uh, there was an individual in one of the life groups I was in this past week, and he said, well, you know, James is a good book, but it almost sounds like a self-help book. You know, here's a to-do list you ought to do if you're going to be a nice person. Well, it does that way. There's very practical things that in many ways people know but aren't doing. Uh, but, but really, it's not a self-help book. It's a spirit help book. Because the things it says in here can only be done by the Spirit of God living His life through us. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge for us to, to see our need more to depend upon Him because we don't naturally live this way. Even in ways we, at times, think we're doing pretty well. Most of us would probably say, I don't think I play favorites that much. And yet, if we were to really examine our heart and our life, there are many times we play favorites in ways that aren't necessarily communicating to us, but communicate to others. So, let's look at the passage this morning. And and as we look at it, I'm going to try to put, you know, things uh, uh, just you can hang the main ideas on. But I think you'll get the... The content as we go through that. If we're going to not play favorites, there's three things that we might want to, to think about. Number one is God simply does not want us to be, uh, or what he wants us to be, is to be impartial. He doesn't want us to be impartial. He wants us to be impartial. He doesn't want us to be partial but impartial. Secondly, he wants us to treat people like Jesus. Now that sounds like something you ought to hear in church, right? Treat people like Jesus. But I'm going to look at that in two different ways. He wants us to treat people like Jesus treated people, or we can choose to treat people like people treated Jesus. And then thirdly, in case we get challenged sometimes by motivation, we need to realize God's way makes sense. Oftentimes, things in the Bible are what people could say are counterintuitive, the exact opposite how we would think. But if we stop and think for a moment, God's wisdom is so much better than how we normally think. And and James is going to appeal to them as he, as he is very in their face about being uh, people who show favoritism. He says, look, at it. if you really looked at what you did and why you did it, you would just run from how you normally live. But let's look at it this morning. He wants us, because true faith is seen when we choose to be impartial. Let's look at the verse this morning, James chapter 2, verse 1. James writes, "My brethren," So he's talking to the church, not talking to people outside the church. And that's something for us always to remember. So often we want to complain about people who don't go to church or or aren't Christians. And and, and we need to realize we need to, again, shine that spotlight on our lives. We are to be, be the people who live like God wants us to live because we have God in our lives. So he speaks to his brethren, people in the church. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, with personal favoritism. It's kind of interesting the way he says that. Because you say, well, that's, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? Why, why would you take your faith and now play favorites? Well, sometimes when we feel that we are the favored, we feel that we are better than the people who are not favored. And he says, look, at the obvious here. Don't take that, what you have, and the one who is glorious, and now see this as a license to look at other people less than yourself, particularly the people you think or look like they're less than yourself. The word for favoritism here is an interesting word because it has the idea when you play favorites is you look at someone and, and you look at, take their face in your hands and you actually lift their face up and say, you are really important to me. Sometimes we'll do that with a child. Sometimes when they've done something, they feel like overwhelmed by whatever they've done and we'll just take them and say, I still love you. On the other hand, the opposite of that is when, when you are really displeased with someone, you'll, 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 you kind of look down upon them. And, and they almost cower by looking down themselves. He said, I don't do that. Don't take people and, and, and just arbitrarily lift them up. It's because there's something external about that that impresses you. Don't play favorites. But, th- but there's another way to look at it because James often, w- in, in, if you look at his letter, he really mirrors a lot what Jesus said, his, his half-brother, said in the Sermon on the Mount. And really, if you want to understand God's challenge for us to treat people like they need to be treated, you look at what's known as the golden rule. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It's in your outline. He says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's, let's read that together. Okay, Matthew seven twelve. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. You know, if we were honest about ourselves and just kind of looked at our lives, we are most often more concerned about how people treat us rather than how we treat them. Would you agree with that? I mean, if, if you've had a bad day with people, you're not really coming out and saying, Oh man, I did so bad today treating people well. Right? I mean, you hardly ever come home that way. But you could come home and say, everybody was mean to me. They were selfish. They were cutting me off. They were doing all kinds of things. And, and, and you and you evaluate your date, not how, how you treated others, but how others treated you. Would you say amen to that? That's the exact opposite how how God wants us to evaluate a date. Not how well did I tr- uh, get treated, but how well did I treat others? And, and, and that's a challenge for us not only outside the church but inside the church most people when they come to church they, they don't evaluate them they don't value their experience about how friendly they were but how what friendly people were to them right you getting that hopefully that feeling a little bit uncomfortable don't we all do that you know that church wasn't a very friendly church and what are we doing we're we're valuing them to us rather than us to them Is that right does that make sense And he's turning this all around, and he says, Jesus is saying this, and I think this is the idea here, is you need to treat people like you want to be treated. Wouldn't that change everything if we just lived that way? You know, Jesus was pretty powerful in saying simple things. So throughout, that, that would be a great challenge this week. Evaluate your day, every day this week, not about how people treated you, but how you treated them. You guys are looking at me like I'm nuts or something like that, right? Shake your head like that would be a good challenge, right? Shake your head like this. Say like you're still. Are you still with me? All right. So, but as we look at that, let's be honest. We're saying, well, is that really supposed to work? How can that work? Okay. Well, let me give you a couple qualifiers, and I hope you're thinking you'll think this through because this is a message not only to understand the simplicity and power of it, but also realize there's some complexity to it. The first qualifier: you must treat all people as equals, but you don't have to treat all people the And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, number one, uh, you need to understand that not all people are the same. Would you agree with that? They're different. But in essence, they're equal. And that's what we uh, we really need to understand. Now, there are times, and I just want to say this in the very beginning, there are times that we do honor people uh, more directly and more definitively than other people. In Leviticus 19.32, it says, Uh, To the aged and the gray-haired, give them honor. So if if someone is in a room and they're to your senior, you are to honor them because they have lived longer and you need to to, uh, support that. And as soon as I get more gray hair, I'm going to preach on that passage every single week right now. You know, there is a place for that. The Bible says, give honor to whom honor is do. So there are places when somebody does well, you give them honor. The Bible's not saying we don't applaud someone's good behavior or their accomplishments. It's not saying that. The Bible says those in political responsibility or, or, or uh, even spiritual responsibility at times, you ought to give them double honor. So there, there's places where you reward what people do. But even when you do that, you don't somehow elevate them above somebody else. You know, if a person does well, that doesn't mean they're better than somebody. They just did something better. You understand the difference? You, you can could, you could do something better. It doesn't make you better. And so we treat all people as equals, but we don't treat all people the same. Now, you might be saying, well, are you just making that up? Well, you know, it's in the Bible. There's an example of Jesus with that. And we won't turn to the passage because of time. But in, in John chapter 21, verses 17 through 22, remember the story of Jesus with Peter? Uh Peter did really well at times, and other times he did very, very what, poorly. Right? Uh, we he he could he could put his foot in his mouth quicker than anybody in the pages of Scripture. Well, he he told Jesus that he he wouldn't deny him. He would defend him no matter what happened. And Jesus said, "Not only are you going to deny me, you're going to deny me not only once, but twice. But how many times? Three times." So at the the end, you know, the resurrection comes, and and Peter still kind of. He's still struggling with this whole experience of denying Jesus after he made such a public statement that he would not deny him. And he has this conversation with Jesus, and it goes back and forth. Do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Do you know I love me? I, you know I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I know you love me. Well, feed my sheep. Do the ministry. But then he goes on. Jesus says, I, I, I want you to know, as, as you follow me because of your love for me, you're going you're gonna to experience a martyr's death. You will not only live for me, but you'll die for me. And all of a sudden, Peter says, okay. And then he sees John, the the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, basically, what are you you asking about that? You just care about what you're supposed to do. So he had the disciples. He had Peter and John, and he he told what Peter was going to do. And Peter's first response, well, is that going to be the same for everybody else? He says, no, because you're not the same. And any of you've had kids, more than one kid, you know that it, 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 every kid is different. I and mean, there might be a lot of similarities, but if you treat every child in your home the same, you won't get to, to know how unique and special they are. I, I was saying in the first service, you know, we had four children. And there were times where he, they'd come to me and say, uh, Dad, who's your favorite? If they're all four there together, I would never answer that question. But if they were one at a time with me, I'd say, I just want to let you know, you're my favorite. Because at that moment, they were my favorite because I was there with them. But reality, all four of my children, you know, I'd give my life for any one of my children. Because they're equal. But they're not the same. Uh, secondly, you must not let your preferences become your prejudices. Let's be honest. We we do have our preferences. There there are people even in this room. You'd say I I'd rather hang out with this person than I'd rather hang out than another person here. And, and there might be certain things you like to do that other people don't like to do. Well, you have preferences. If you ask me, some I was I was reading this. If somebody asked me who would you like to date tonight? Well, I, I have my I definitely have my preferences. I'd rather date my wife. <laughs> but. But having preferences has nothing to do with prejudices. In Galatians chapter 2, we had the experience, again, of Peter. Peter not only could put his foot in his mouth, he could put his life in his mouth, too, in terms of doing the wrong things. And he was, he was ministering to non-Jews, Gentiles. He was really, he was, he was connecting with them. He was doing the th- same things they were doing. Then all of a sudden, some Jewish believers showed up. And you know what he did? He just ran from the his Gentile friends, to spent only time with the Jews. And the Apostle Paul Paul said, I had to confront him publicly because he was messing even with what the gospel does. He makes us all one. And so you can have your preferences, but if they become prejudicial, where you treat people in a a horrific way, you, you misunderstand what it means to play favorites. Does that make sense? And then thirdly, you need to understand, you might, you might not like everybody, but you have a much more greater challenge. You must love everybody. And so again, as you look at people, you're not just looking at the people you like. You're looking at whom God brings in your life so that you can love sacrificially, seeing what's best in their lives and seeing how you can do what's best for them. So what we see in this passage is about playing favors is he says right from the very beginning, you've got to be impartial. You can't look at people how you've normally looked at people. Just what they do for you and, and, and what they do uh, with you. you. You need to say, if you brought them in my life, I want to see them as, as extremely valuable in God's eyes. And, and that's why in the next verses, what James does, he goes from the theoretical to the very specific. He says, okay, let me give you an example. This is how you need to really look at people and, and decide you're going to treat them like Jesus. He, he says in verse 2, For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, Verse 4, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? So again, let's be very clear about a way you can show favoritism. And this is not the only way. A person comes in, you kind of size them up. And some people almost take pride. I could even eliminate the word almost. They take pride and say, you know, I can look at a person and I can know exactly what kind of person they are immediately and maybe they're good at discerning sometimes but i would say many times people are way way off beat in terms of understanding what a person is by simply looking at them but people think they can do that And, and he says two people come in here and and one is dressed nicely and one is not dressed nicely one has fine clothes it's the word lupra which has the idea of shiny clothes one has a gold ring on and we need to understand, a gold ring there was much more than we see gold rings today. It was, it was a symbol of prominence and importance, and, and often those who were uh, uh, self-absorbed, they would want everyone to know how prominent they were. So they wouldn't just put one gold ring on. How many fingers do you have normally? You got 10. They'd put on 10 gold rings. So they had the bling going. They'd had the bling working, all right? And so immediately people said, that's a person of, of, of substance, and then they have another person come in. It says he comes in with dirty clothes. Some of your translations might say shabby clothes. It's a, it's a Greek word that's not used very often. It's the idea not only dirty in terms of physical dirt, and that would often be the case because they didn't have a whole lot in their closet. Probably they were wearing what was in their closet. They had one change. They had one piece of clothing. Some might have two, and so it didn't get washed very often because if it got washed, you were in the water with it. And so they they came in you know, shabby in terms of their attire. And then interesting the word here, the ripara can also be used not only in terms of physical dirt on your clothing, but it could be it's used morally dirt. You know, a person's dirt, you have a dirty mind. You've probably heard that phrase before. And it's saying this this person has the, the dress of someone who might be making a living in a in a way that's not very honourable. And when that person walks through, you immediately make judgment. Say, that person's an evil person because look at what they're wearing. And not only look at what they're wearing, look at what they probably have been doing. And maybe they have been doing that. But your immediate response to them is to judge them as unworthy because they don't dress as well or they dress in the garb that shows they they live a lifestyle that's not honorable or God-pleasing. And he said, what is that? Not only do you look at them a certain way, and that's how you can play favorites, you can look down at a person rather than look up at a person. Or or you could even physically what you do with the person. Let's see if we can somehow hide that person. And and, and, and the word here for church when they met together or assembly is actually the word synagogue. And so we don't know. It might have been a home, might have been a place of public worship on a Saturday that they were now using on a Sunday. And and usually in the synagogues, a lot of times you'd have benches around the room that people came to then you'd have a few uh, benches up front. And you say, well, I, I want to make sure the important person gets up front, so you place the person up front. And then the person, you don't like their looks, you put them on the back corners. Or maybe even more, there's one place a lot of people would be sitting cross-legged on the floor in a, a worship service and say, well, here's, here you can sit right where by that, that person's feet is, but where their, their feet are propped up. He said, how can you live like this? Is this treating people like you want to be treated? When you walk into a room, you want people to look down upon you? You want me to have people put you in a corner? You want people to make an immediate judgment by how you look? And 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 you need to understand, this is exactly how people treated Jesus. This is not how, people, how Jesus treated people. He didn't treat people with partiality. Look at Matthew twenty two sixteen. 16. He says this, And they sent their disciples to him, Jesus, along with the Herodians, saying, These are the people who attack Jesus. Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God and truth. So they began with compliments. And they said, this, And defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Yet, what, what, why was Jesus able to draw a crowd? It wasn't because of his physical appearance. We know that. In Isaiah 53, it says that he had had nothing that was attractive to him physically. Uh, Obviously, he was a speaker like no other speaker. He he spoke in an amazing way. spoke with authority that just drew people to listen to him. But often what drew people to Jesus was because of who he was on the inside. Obviously, he was God in the flesh, but they saw him as someone who, with open arms, would would show no partiality to people. And they were so used to the religious Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes who who did the exact opposite because they looked down on the masses. They weren't good enough to be in their presence. And Jesus invited them because he was not partial by the person's occupation or, or past, and and we need to understand that. We show favoritism when we focus way too much on their, a person's past rather than their potential for their future. Jesus was not that way. And he was addressing James, the church, said, you're, you're starting to fall back into that pattern. And, and really, that's how people treated Jesus. And this is a couple of illustrations in your text, in your outline. It says, Nathanael said to him, this is Nathanael when he first heard about Jesus, and they were telling they think they've found the Messiah. And here's the response. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And then Philip said, well, come and see. And of course, that's our, our, our challenge, that we ought to be people are inviting people to come and see all the time. That's, that's our mission, to co- have people come and see about Jesus. But they had made an adjustment, not even on his appearance. Nathanael hadn't even seen Jesus. All he heard was where he was from. And that was throughout the life of Jesus. Others were saying, this is the, uh, John one forty six, no, John 7.41, excuse me. Others were saying, this is the Christ. So others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? It's like, he lives on the other side of the tracks. Nothing good comes from the other side of the tracks. They were judging based on appearances, reputation. They answered him, 7.52, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And so they looked at the past and said, well, the past has to predict everything that happens in the future. And we need to understand that's the exact opposite of the gospel. We don't don't believe the past dictates the future because Jesus is the one who changes people's futures. I threw this in and put the whole reference there. But in Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, it says, let love of the brethren continue. And then he said, show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. You know, if we knew someone was an angel, would we uh, maybe, uh, you know, some heavenly being sent here to minister to people, would we somehow treat them differently than we would treat, you know, anybody we didn't know anything about? He says, be careful. You know, this is not in the text, but in Matthew 20, chapter 25, it talks about how we treat other people like how we would treat Jesus. And we're going to be judged on that. But maybe you're thinking, well, okay. If we're going to treat people like Jesus would be treated or would, who would treat us, I still don't get this. How are, how are people equals? They're not the same, but how are they even equals? Well, let's look at it theologically. This is not simply a self-help book. This, this is a book that really looks at reality and how it is. How are people equal? In Genesis 127, we find we're equal in whose image we are made. You know, what did what the Godhead say? So let's make man in our image. So none of us ever come across a person that's not made in the image of God. Now, we might look at some people and say, well, that, that image needs to be cleaned up quite a bit. But that's God's part. You know, we're supposed to catch the fish. He cleans them, right? And so we need to understand every person that we come, every person we come across with is made in the image of God. Secondly, we're equal in the sinful position before God. The Bible says, uh, For a few have fallen short of the glory of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Is that what it says? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So in in a position before God, before we come to know the, the, the forgiver, which is Jesus, we are all sinful in God's eyes. Every person that we see is made in the imprint image of God, is in a sinful position like we are as well before we come to know Him. Second, we're equal in salvation that changes everything. So after people come to faith, and sometimes we treat people in the church differently than we treat others. And we need to understand, well, we're all in Christ. There's no difference that way. We're t- completely equal. Uh, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, many of you know that verse. Therefore, if anyone was in Christ is a new creature or creation, old things pass away. What kind of things have come? New things have come. Before Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen comes Second Corinthians chapter five verse sixteen. Very good class, you got that one right. All right, sixteen becomes four seventeen. And sometimes these verses that are so awesome in Scripture, we, if we understand the context, it makes the verse even greater. He says, "Therefore, we uh, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer." And then it says, therefore, in then he was in Christ, a new creature. And what he's saying there is, you know, when Christ first came on the scene, just, a, well, we could really say this, everybody got it wrong. Now, there might have been a few that were a lot more closer to it than the rest of us, and maybe there were a few that really put their faith completely in him. But even his closest companions, at his crucifixion, did they stick around? No, they ran. Why did they run? Because it was right before them, we would have run as well. So we don't look; we're not any better than they were. Because they saw him physically in the flesh, and he was being put to death. Well, in your mind, about uh, mind's eye about who God is, do you ever see God dying? I don't see God dying. They looked at it only from a physical perspective. They, they didn't understand all the words of Jesus about me rising from the dead, and so they ran. They, they saw him only according to the flesh. But after the resurrection, they now saw this person they used to walk with on the past, dirty path of Palestine. This was, this, 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 this is the one who truly was who we claim to be. He is God. And, and see, when we see other people, we we need to say this person, this person is in God's family. This is a Christian. This is a person who is now a new creation. I know he doesn't look a whole lot different than he did before he gave his life to Jesus. He looks the same on the outside, but I need to look on the what? On the inside. I don't just simply look at him like I used to, just in the flesh, look externally. I now see him as he is. He's a new creature in Christ. We're equal that way. And then fourthly, we're looking at Equality. You know, anything that you own or have, how do you know how much is worth? Well, the only really way you know how much it's worth is when you determine how much someone is willing to pay for it, right? You can have something really valuable, but if everybody else thinks it's junk, it's not very valuable, right? And things change on the open market. What used to be valuable is no longer valuable. What is valuable now, you know, all those kind of things, right? What kind of price tag is on every person on this planet? A high price. Because someone's already paid for a person's life. The Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ, what, died for us. What price would you put on Christ's death for you, given his life for us? So, so as we look at, at what God wants us to do, he doesn't want us to play favorites. He wants us to see people as he sees them. Every person is of immense worth. That needs to be touched by the love of Christ through our words, through our actions, through our treatment. No favorites based on external things. Doesn't mean we always treat people the same. Doesn't mean we don't have preferences. Doesn't mean we don't have likes and dislikes. But we love people like Christ loves. And we treat people like Jesus treated people. Well, real quickly, and I knew we wouldn't have time. But realize God's way makes sense. So he... he, he appeals to them. Okay, this is this, this is reasonable. He goes, verse five. Listen, listen, my beloved brethren. Verse five, James chapter two. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? Kind of a complicated. Sentence, he said, look at the people coming to Jesus. Are they the poor or the rich? They're the poor. Now it's not saying that God loves poor people more than rich people. That's that's just a, a shallow read of God's word. There was all kinds of rich pe- all kinds of rich people in the Bible. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. Um, you had Solomon who was richer than you can even imagine. You had, uh, even in Jesus' day, you had Levi who was a tax collector. He probably had skimmed off quite a bit of money. You had Zacchaeus. You had uh, Joseph of Arimathea had his own huge place to bury people. You had um, even Lydia probably selling the purple stuff. Uh, There's a number of people who were well off that came to know Jesus. But every one of those rich people recognized their poverty. Because what he's saying here, look at this is, isn't this what Jesus said? It's the poor in spirit who are going to inherit the kingdom of God. So why why would you be so enamored by rich people? Why would you be so enamored by things on the external? Then verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich man to oppress you and personally drag you into court? Now, when you get in trouble, do you ever get sued by a poor person? Now, back then, you can get that way today a little bit, but it's, it was the rich people who could only afford to put people uh, in suits that could take things from them. Verse eight, verse 7, Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? The poor people were looking for help. The rich people wanted to put down those who, so they wouldn't get help to bring, be brought up to their own condition. So, so what's the point this morning? The, po- the point is rather simple. What, what kind of good faith choices are we making? Uh, as, as God sees us as people who are called to have a controlled tongue, a compassionate heart, and a clean life, and he, he has those themes going over and over and over throughout James. And this is, goes back to this. He says, I want you to have a compassionate heart. And a compassionate heart is going to look at people like God wants you to look at them. And so this week, when you see people, every time you see someone, see them through the eyes of Jesus as being imprinted by God's image, as being a person like everyone else, needing Him, as a person who has the potential to become a new creature in Christ, who has a price been paid for in the blood of Jesus Christ, and you want to treat them as Jesus treats you. Let's pray. Father, we we confess that so often we go through life overly concerned about how we're treated and never really looking at how we're treating others. Father, help us to be people who, who have the eyes of Christ and seek to be living messages of Christ. Help us this week to reach out into our relational world and just show people the love of Christ. And Father, if there there be anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might today be the day in which they say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I need your forgiveness. I need your direction. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And Father, when we make that commitment, you answer that prayer according to your will. Help us to surrender completely to you, either for the first time or in a new and fresh way today. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing.